It still feels like spring out there, but believe me, it is February. It is Toronto. It is Monday night. This is the Toronto Beer Podcast with me, your host, Chris Schreier. And I'm feeling really thrown off right now because for some reason, my YouTube camera's picture is mirrored on the screen. Now, I don't know how it's going to look in the end. But I can tell you right now, it's really throwing me off because everything I want to do is backwards. I'm going to play the theme, see if I can figure out what's going on. Meet you back here and shortly. idea why but for some reason it's backwards so that's great i'm not gonna let it trouble me as it's troubling me as i speak oh i can't i can't handle this jake has joined us help me out my ins no my youtube camera's running backwards right now it's crazy i wonder if all my words are backwards if you're watching this on youtube there's no one watching right now It'd be nice if somebody were watching i could ask them is everything i'm saying coming out backwards would the sentences run backwards or would just the individual words be backwards in their correct position? In the Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, hey, what's up? Monday night. It's Toronto Beer Podcast, except it's not. You know why? Because if you've been listening, you know what time of year it is. It's the Guinness Six Nations. And I'm not going to say that this is a Six Nations podcast because that would be probably overselling things. But for the month of February and part of March, the Toronto Beer Podcast is also the Toronto Beer and Rugby Podcast. And especially tonight, because as noted, the uh, tournament in question is uh, title branded by uh, Guinness Brewing of Ireland. We are going to drink this delicious Guinness Draft Stout out of a can, because we can. Uh, let's see what happens. This beer, of course, famously has the widget uh, and it's got nitrogen in it. And one of the keys to this is you really want to pour it hard. Unlike other beers where you want to try and pour it gently. A beer with a widget or a beer that has nitrogen in the can is asking, oh, look at that cascade. That is like an advertisement for Guinness. That is nice. Uh, yeah, you want to just dump the beer in the glass as quickly as humanly possible and trust on the fact that it's not going to surge. It's not going to overflow. Uh, the nitrogen won't do that. You just need to have faith and go for it. And if you do that, it's going to be OK. And indeed, that is still just cascading out slightly at the top, but a pretty good looking. Oh, the backwards YouTube camera is really doing my head in here. A really good looking glass of Guinness. Obviously nicer to have Guinness on tap. Obviously nicer to have Guinness on tap in Ireland. Obviously nicer to have Guinness on tap in Dublin. Obviously nicer to have Guinness on tap in Dublin on the south side of the river. Obviously nicer to have Guinness in Ireland on the south side of the river at St. James Gate Brewery, which is where it's made. I've done all that. But tonight I'm happy to be drinking it out of a can and talking about the game I love. Rugby. First of all, let's talk about this beer, just in case you've never had a Guinness before, and if you haven't, where have you been? Mmm. Oh, it's so good. I was on these on Saturday, too. They were nice. Guinness 
is the benchmark for a dry Irish stout. If you think of a dry Irish stout, and I don't care how crafty you are, how long you've lined up for some stupid event that probably costs too much money, how much you've spent in importing charges to bring some uber cool beer from upstate New York or Vermont into the country, none of that means anything. Guinness is the benchmark for dry Irish stout. Every dry style, dry Irish style stout has to be held up against this. Now, there are many that are going to be better on their day. That's fine. Benchmark doesn't mean it's the best. It means this is the accepted standard. And if you're below it, that's a problem. And if you're above it, good. You're punching above your weight. And if you're at the same level, you're in very, very good company. Guinness, the benchmark of dry Irish stout. Mm. Now, you'll notice if you're watching the video, of course, this beer is black. In fact, if you have a very bright light, it's red. Um, it's just so red, it's black. Um, stouts made with very darkly roasted malts, meaning that they often have a certain, um, well, very dark malty taste, uh, often approaching charred or burnt. Uh, Guinness does have a bit of... Um, Tartness isn't quite the right word, but there's a sharpness uh, that I associate with, like, if you have a burned crust of toast. Um, Guinness itself, not particularly smoky. Some states can be. Guinness isn't uh, particularly. It just uh, has a significant, like, black, dark malt kind of uh, thing going for it. Really smooth, creamy body, made more so by the fact that when you buy it in a can... It is um, not carbonated. It's nitrogenated. Got to workshop what that is. Mm. But nice, very dense, creamy head. Smooth, creamy body. Like I say, a bit of a sharpness um, from the acrid kind of uh, thing, but not smoky particularly. Um, yeah, hopping is sort of tea-like, kind of, kind of like black tea, uh, a little tannic, a little dry. That's about it. And uh, it does exactly what you want it to do. Uh, I'm going to have a sip and I'm going to deal with some misconceptions about Guinness. Mm. People will tell you, Guinness, it's a meal in a glass. Oh, it's a that's a meal of a beer. Oh, that's a... I think those are people who either have never had it or don't really know what they're talking about. Guinness is a light beer. Uh, for one, the alcohol content's only 4.2%, so it's lower alcohol. And in terms of the body, you might be mistaken for thinking it's quite heavy, what with the creaminess from the uh, nitrogen. Sorry, my printer just decided to align itself. Um, saying that the creaminess from the uh, nitrogen, uh, from the, the pouring, uh, might fool you into thinking that it's not light-bodied, but it's a light-bodied beer. I don't know why my printer just chose now to do that. It's probably like some sort of uh, like solidarity act with my fridge, which I've turned off. So the printer's like, fine, you're going to turn off the fridge. I'm going to make some noise. Anyway, Guinness, not a meal in a glass. I mean, it's good for you, but it's not a meal in a glass. You'll be hungry after eating this. I mean, drinking it. Mm. If you want a beer that's really a more of a meal in a glass, you need to move into the uh, Imperial Stout or Baltic Porter range. Those are beers with enough residual sweetness. They've got very heavy bodies. They tend to be filling. 
They're also very alcoholic. Uh, that is meal in a glass. A Guinness, on the other hand, is just a delicious drink, which I enjoy drinking deliciously. Mmm. Mm-mm-mm. And do I ever... And you know what I like to do while I'm drinking a Guinness? I like to watch a bit of rugby. We call that a throw in the uh, business, kids. Uh, and indeed... Oh, by the way, what do you what do you eat with Guinness? Nothing. It's a meal in a glass. No, I just disproved that. Um, you know, lots of good Irish fare go really well. It's good with fish and chip. It's good with bangers and mash or bangers and champ. It's good with a pie. It's good with all that. It's good with potatoes. Anything with a potato, you and Guinness and potatoes, you're all going to get along just fine. And whatever you're eating, watch some rugby. I can hear you asking, what rugby should I watch? Well, the Six Nations is on. The Guinness Six Nations is on right now. And uh, if you didn't tune in this past weekend, I'm not going to say you missed the best games of the tournament. I will say you missed the, missed the best games of the tournament so far. But it was also the first week. So you see where I'm going with this. But holy moly, what a weekend of rugby. I'm going to recap it. I'm going to make some predictions for this weekend coming up. And uh, then probably knock it in the head. But we'll see. We'll see. You never know. Once I get talking about rugby, it can it can go on and on. Mm. Oh, Guinness. Oh, by the way, where do you get Guinness? Everywhere. The beer store? Sure. The LCBO? Sure. Your grocery store? Sure. Almost any bar that has any semblance of British or Irishness? Sure. It's at all of them. It's in a black can. It says Guinness. There's a big harp on it. Hard to miss. It, it's harder to find places where you can't get Guinness than where you can get Guinness, uh, in, at least in this here city. Don't know about where you're listening to or when. Again, all of a sudden I've started considering the fact that this could be sitting on a server somewhere 50 years from now. And I'm like dead and somebody's listening to this. Maybe Guinness isn't available anymore. Maybe Barley was a climate change victim and we lost it. And now we make beer with sorghum. Think about that. No, don't think about that. Think about the Guinness Six Nations of Rugby, which, as noted, the first weekend was this past weekend. And good golly, what a weekend of rugby. <laughs> Opening round. The one everyone was talking about. Friday afternoon, local time here in Toronto. Evening uh, in Marseille, Paris. Not Paris. Frig, France. Oh, that was so dumb. Important to note, the game was not being played in Paris. It was being played in Marseille, which was, um, I don't know, apparently that factored into the psychology. I don't know. Anyway, all anyone could talk about was the fact that both Ireland and France had been eliminated in the World Cup sooner than they would have liked. Let's be fair, they both wanted to win it, but they were both eliminated in the quarterfinals. They didn't even make the semis, which in both counts was actually a bit surprising. The expectation was at least one of them would have made it through, and neither did. Which, that happens. Uh, they were definitely on the hard side of the draw. That said... Everybody was saying France is going to want to get this back. They were embarrassed in their own backyard because, of course, the World Cup was in France this past uh, fall. And uh, every, oh, this one, uh, France is going to come in hard. The other thing everyone couldn't stop talking about was that Ireland's uh, number 10. I talked about this last week. Uh, their, their career number 10, Johnny Sexton, um, possibly one of the most important 
names in Irish rugby ever, and, and certainly the most important name of the past, say, 10 years at least, um, had retired and was not playing in this tournament. As he should be. The guy's almost as old as I am. You should not be playing international rugby that old. It's a miracle his body still functioned. Anyway, uh, but the flip to that was um, France's very, very talented uh, scrum half, which is to say the best rugby player in the world, uh, Anton Dupont, also not playing in this tournament because he wants to play sevens for a little while. So he's left the national team. That was the big talking point. What's going to happen? Who's who's going to fare better without their uh, their their, you know, their touchstone player? Uh, it was Ireland. And it wasn't even close. Uh, I think they won 38 to 13, maybe. Something like that. Uh, they trounced them. They beat the hell out of them. They destroyed them. It was amazing. I'm in a pool. I was the only person who picked Ireland in my entire pool. Everyone else picked France. What's up with that? Anyway, I picked them and I got points. Because that's what happens when you pick the right team in a pool, I guess. Mmm. It was insane. Uh, uh, Ireland's new 10. I mean, young, definitely made some mistakes, wasn't super confident kicking from the tee, but played a fantastic game. And uh, I think subbed out in like the 65th or 70th minute, like had a good run. It was good. And uh, the other really big news was I'm trying to remember his name, but they have a lock now who uh, is this big, huge, meaty kid who smashes people for fun. And uh, Long said Ireland, maybe one of their weaknesses was, I mean, one that factored in in different ways uh, was was the the weight of their forwards, the size of their forwards. Uh, Their pack was never the biggest. Their scrum was always fine, but very rarely dominant. at least not against the people who you needed them to be. Totally dominant scrum against 80% of the countries out there. But when you bump into a team like South Africa or France, who have massive packs, uh, Ireland scrum was always a weak point. And beyond that, they didn't have players that instilled fear uh, in the opponents. And I know that... um, it's not the same as in hockey and back in the day when you used to have an enforcer who was willing to participate in some fisticuffing, you know, so if you're a little speedy forward gets caught with his head down coming across the blue line and gets laid out, even though he should have had his head up, the enforcer would go in and would knock somebody around just to, you know, try and rein that sort of behavior in. Rugby doesn't function exactly the same, but there is um, an awareness that if you, you know, cheap shot or... You know, maybe are being a little more rough in the in the ruck than you ought to be with a smaller person. That there's a bigger person who is going to remember that and is going to find a way to do it back to you. Uh, that hopefully will not result in a penalty and will result in a not insignificant amount of discomfort for you. <clears throat> Ireland has historically lacked that sort of a character. This guy, he's the real deal. He's going to crack some heads, I think. Hmm. Just amazing. What? Uh, game the other games well England against Italy should have been a a real snooze fest it should have just been England smacking points on the board and slapping Italy around Uh, what actually happened was Italy came out and played a much better first half than England did and went into halftime up like 14 nothing or something 14 three like dominant now the problem is rugby is an 80 minute game and Italy historically has been fine for the first portion of time 10 minutes 20 minutes 40 minutes 
trailing off to the point where by like the 65th minute, 70th minute, they're in deep trouble. And so if they haven't run up a big enough score, which they rarely would have, uh, they tend to lose the, those games uh, towards the end with a few notable exceptions, Wales and Australia both being uh, one. That said, uh, England was calm and in control in that second half and did should we say squeak out a win? I believe it was a four or five point win, which means Italy actually got a bonus point, uh, which is funny because on the league table now that puts Italy above France because France didn't get anything. They got no points. Uh, so that's kind of cute and funny. Also hilarious to watch England, um, maybe not nearly lose to Italy, but certainly have a much, 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 much closer game than they uh, were expecting. And certainly than any experts were predicting. That said, England always starts the tournament out kind of flat. It doesn't matter who they play, and they do tend to improve. So the expectation going forward is that England should look better uh, this week coming up, for instance, and, uh, and going forward in the tournament. And then, of course, the last game of the weekend, uh, Saturday evening, afternoon, if you were in Toronto, uh, was Wales against Scotland. I don't think many people would have given Wales a hope. And indeed, if you watch the first half, you would think Wales is going to lose this tournament. They're going to get what we call the wooden spoon, which means they would place last. That said, in the second half, Wales looked like they were going to win the tournament uh, and really put Scotland to it. Scotland held on for the win, but Scotland, who went into halftime up 20 to nothing, won 27 to six or 26 not six. Uh, Wales scored 26 unanswered points, including four tries, which gave them a losing bonus point, as well as a bonus point for only losing by one point. If you lose by less than seven, you get another point. So Wales actually got two points out of that loss, which is pretty impressive. Also, in the first half, they looked like they were playing the way that Wales has played historically for the past handful of years. Um, a lot of kicking, a lot of attempted power up the middle. It did not look good. It did not look connected. It looked really awkward on them. And hard to say, they haven't confirmed one way or the other, but it certainly looks like at halftime, Gatland got into the locker room and said to the team, boys, this isn't working. <laughs> we made some plans. We trained some drills. We, you know, we gave it our all. And um, this looks like garbage. You're a hot mess out there. Why don't you just go out there and play rugby the way you want to play rugby? And all of a sudden, they were running the ball from unusual positions. They were working wide fast. They were actually looking more like the way Ireland was playing about five years ago. Less kick, way more run, way more creativity, and, uh, and, and trying to be less brutal up the middle and instead trying to be quick up the sides. And uh, good golly, it nearly worked. It nearly, nearly worked. And in fact, I think they missed a conversion or two. So it was the, the, the possibility was very real that they might've won that game uh, against all odds. So that was, you know, great for a Wales fan like me. Mm. Now you want to know what's happening this weekend? Well, there is going to be more rugby. I want to, I'm going to look this one up. Um, I think I can do this uh, from memory, but I'm just going to look it up. Six nations fixtures. You have to say fixtures when you're talking about the upcoming games. They're the fixtures. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, here we go. So Saturday, uh, the first game in the morning 
at 9.15 a.m. That is local time here in Toronto. February the 10th, Scotland versus France. Followed at 11.45 by the big one, as far as I'm concerned, England versus Wales. And then the Sunday game, Ireland versus Italy, which it would be hard to believe is not going to be a pretty dominant performance by Ireland. Let's actually do that. We'll work backwards from Ireland and Italy. Ireland, Italy, uh, Sunday, Sunday morning. And that, I believe, is in Ireland. Uh, What's likely to happen? Ireland's probably going to field a pretty young side, try and get some players some experience. Um, Ireland right now is on a Grand Slam, which means they won their first game. If you win all five of your games, you get the Grand Slam. It means you won and you didn't lose anything. Um, So they are going to be cautious of that. They're certainly not going to risk... I mean, let's be honest. Even if they weren't on a Grand Slam, they weren't going to risk a loss to Italy. Losing to Italy is just not something that top-level teams typically do. But look for um, Ireland to field some youngsters, maybe especially in that pack in the in the the uh, tight five up front. Get some boys uh, some experience, um, give them a run, and uh, and yeah, you know what's going to happen. Ireland's going to win. 48 to six, which is to say Italy's going to get two penalties. Uh, my guess is Italy's probably not going to score a try. That said, Italy's playing some wild, fast, creative rugby and could, could put, you know, I'm going to change that. Uh, Italy's going to get 10 points. It's going to be 48 to 10. Uh, uh, Italy will score a try that they convert and they'll get a pen. That's my guess. And, uh, Ireland will win like handily. And in fact, I actually think they're probably going to be higher than that. I just don't like predicting a team putting 50 on another team because you never want that because that means you don't get beer when you go out that night. If you lose by 50 points, not by, if you lose and the other team scored 50 points, you don't get to go out for beer unless you also got 50 points. Like if it was 51 to 53, then you're okay. That's the rules. I didn't make them. I just follow them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what did I say? The second? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. England, Wales, and that's at Twickenham. That's in England. Wales don't typically win at Twickenham. Even in, even in years when Wales are really good, I think the last two times Wales won in the Six Nations at Twickenham were in years when Wales subsequently then won the Grand Slam. So you're talking about, like, exceptional teams. Takes a lot to win at Twickenham. That said, Wales is like a brand new team. It's it's hard to know uh, what they're going to get up to and what they're going to do. And if they keep playing the way they played in the second half against Scotland, that creativity could do things. They still have the classic Welsh defense. They just don't go away. You keep running into them, they keep tackling you. You keep running into them, they just get up and do it again. They're really, really tough. It's apparently really annoying to play against them because they just, you're always trying to find a hole in the defense and there just never is one. They just keep getting up and doing it. Um, So, and (laughs) there's nobody that Wales likes to beat more than England. (laughs) Like, if you gave Wales the choice of beating England to win a Six Nations or beating New Zealand to win a World Cup, they would take England for the Six Nations every day of the week. They wouldn't even think about it. They might even laugh, be like, beating New Zealand for a World Cup, who cares? Yeah, we want to beat England for the Six Nations. 
that's how much they care about beating England. So you have to factor that in. I want to be clear, this is not what I'm going to pick for my pool, but the rational part of my brain that doesn't have to think about the value of the bet and the fact that no one else is going to pick Wales would say England's probably going to win this. Wales might get a bonus point, like a losing bonus point. So let's say England wins like 20 points to 14 or something like that. Um, That's probably what's going to happen. But I mean, I would love it to go the other way. I would love Wales to blow them out. But nothing, I said, nothing makes Wales happier than beating England. Nothing makes me happier in the rugby world than Wales beating England. So, you know, a guy can hope. A guy can hope for the record for my pool. What will I probably pick? I'll probably pick Wales by like four. Probably say 16 to 12 or something like that. Um, that seems like a reasonable guess. That's my guess anyway. Uh, lastly, Scotland versus France in Edinburgh in Scotland. I think it's in Edinburgh. It's in Scotland anyway. And they almost always play those games in Edinburgh. I mean, France is a world-class team full of world-class players who just happen to be missing their very worldly classiest, but everyone else is there. There's going to be some changing in the pack because Williams is going to be out because he'll be cited. He picked up a red card for <laughs> two, not identical, but I mean, the outcome was basically identical yellow cards. Um, and in fact, the second yellow card was upgraded in of itself to a red card, which is why he's going to get sanctioned. If uh, it was just two yellow cards for a red, uh, they can choose to sanction you, but it's not a foregone conclusion. But once you have a red, it's going to go to a committee and you are going to get suspended for some number of games. I don't know what his history is like. Um, if he has a history of cards, it could be long. Like he, that might be his tournament done. More likely, I'm guessing he doesn't have a history. In which case, probably what they'll do is he will uh, uh, plead guilty because they treat it like a trial. Uh, he will he will plead guilt, which automatically. So like then it's like the low entry for that uh, is, I think, four weeks. And then they knock a week off because uh, you admitted your guilt and you were polite and, you know, wore a tie and stuff to the hearing. And then you can opt to do a tackle program for like, it's like a remedial tackle school. One of your coaches, typically your defense coach on your team will be, um, uh, uh, told to, uh, run you through this curriculum. And if you do that, they'll knock another week off. So like two weeks. So anyway, the long and short of it is unless they review it and decide that it wasn't in fact a red and he can play on, he's not going to be there. And, uh, that's going to mean a change in their pack. Uh, that said, based on the way they played, maybe a bit of a change wouldn't be such a bad thing because they really looked like garbage and a bunch of their players who should have played a lot better than they did, did not. They didn't show up. So sometimes you need to ruffle a few feathers to get people to get out of their own heads and start playing some rugby. Scotland, on the other hand, um, their, uh, discipline in the second half. So I was saying in the Scotland-Wales game, Wales were horrible in the first half, amazing in the second half. Part of that was that Scotland, I mean, on the one hand, they probably, they took their foot off the gas a little. Um, they were so far up, 27 nothing. Um, you know, in the 45th minute or 47th minute. Um, 
but with that, their discipline fell apart. I think they took something like 14 penalties in the second half. If you're over 10 in the game, you're in trouble. And uh, so to do that in a half, it's no wonder uh, they nearly uh, blew that lead. So which half performance is going to be more representative of what Scotland's going to turn up with? It's a good question. I I tend to think all teams start a little slow in the tournament, and so they're going to probably be stronger. Um, they are building to beat England, would be their hope. Scotland's a lot like Wales that way. Uh, if Scotland were given the choice of winning five games in the Six Nations but losing to England, uh, and then probably winning the tournament, let's be honest, if they've won five games, uh, or lose... Sorry, four games, not five. Uh, or lose four games, but beat England in England. They would beat England in England. They'd be like, "Yeah, that's fine. We can, we can live with that." Um, actually, that's not true. They wouldn't want to lose to Italy. Hmm. Anyway, you get the point. They really want to beat them. This week, what they're going to be looking to do is tighten up some of their things. They will field basically the exact same team, and they will work them and use this opportunity against France as a building block uh, for their quest to beat England. Uh, a loss for Scotland would not be as bad as a loss for France. If France loses this game too, uh, for one, it means their tournament's basically over. You you can't lose two games and still win the tournament. It just it mathematically can't happen. I guess there are ways that it can happen, especially with some bonus points and stuff. But it once you've lost two games, that's pretty much the tournament done for you. All you can do is like play spoiler. So France is going to be going full noise. I think France are probably going to take this game. Uh, it'll probably still be close. Scotland's going to probably score some nice tries. Watch for like Vandermerv to kill again. He was like an assassin out there on the on the weekend. So that's a very real possibility. But uh, my I think I think France will will come out different look, different discipline, better performance. France are going to win this game probably comfortably, like 10 points. So, you know, 24 to 14 or something like that. Maybe even higher. Maybe more like, uh, I don't know, like 36 to 20-something. Something like that. That, that's going to be my guess. I don't think Scotland's going to roll over, but I think they're just going to be generally outclassed. France play some beautiful rugby when they're good. They did not play beautiful rugby this past weekend. <laughs> no, sir. Mm. That is your preview for this weekend. You should be drinking some Guinness for the Guinness Six Nations while watching those games. Why? Because it's delicious because it's the benchmark of dry Irish stout. And if you're one of these people who just because it's owned by a major company, which I believe is still Diageo, can't imagine they would have gotten rid of that. Yeah, Diageo. Um, if that puts you off drinking it, I mean, it must be nice to be so moral. Also, you're denying yourself delicious things, so I would just get in there and have some. Also, incidentally, and I've never had it, it's really hard to get in the province. They keep selling out. Guinness apparently makes a fantastic non-alcohol. It's called Guinness Zero. It's apparently really good. Apparently really tastes like a regular Guinness. So keep your eye out for that, too. Okay, next week, I'm not going to talk this much about rugby. I will talk about rugby, but this episode has been almost entirely about rugby. And that's great because I love it. But 
I am aware that not everybody else loves it with the same vigor and passion. Quick reminder, if you're interested and want to get to know more about the tournament, Netflix has a documentary called Full Contact. It's about the Six Nations, this exact tournament. It was filmed during last year's Six Nations, and you get to meet some of the characters and players and see what the tournament looks like and the drama that goes with it. And it's really cool. I would check it out if I were you. Otherwise, if you've got questions about rugby, because some folks do, uh, World Rugby, their YouTube channel has some really good primers. So just little things like it's easy to take for granted that if you know how the game is played, that things like why a ruck happens or what's a mall and how does it start? Stuff like that. Uh, it's not the most obvious. And if you're a person getting interested and you are confused. Uh, World Rugby has some great resources for that. The other really good resource uh, that's equally, well, not quite free, but I was going to say equally free. Uh, once you've paid to get in, it's equally free, is come on down to the club and hang out with me. It's 20 bucks to get in. I'll be sitting in the hall watching the rugby. Just come find me. I'll be your World Rugby Primer video. I love teaching people about rugby. Good golly. So, uh, Bombay Beach Club, 360 Lakefront. Uh, it doesn't have a street address, so don't try and look that up. It's at the bottom of Beach Avenue, right here in the beach. It's about 200 meters over there. Yeah. I live about 200 meters away. So, uh, come on down and watch it. Also worth noting, I know Salter Street Brewery, if you're more of a river cider, uh, they, uh, they're showing it. Uh, or at least their social media said they are, so I don't have any reason to disbelieve that. Uh, so you could also check it out there. Uh, and as noted, um, uh, Hemingway's typically shows it as well. And you know what? Google it. I bet there are other places around the city. It's rugby's a popular sport, especially with, uh, like, you know, Irish and English bars. So give it a look. Check it out. Uh, next week, who knows what's going to happen? Couldn't tell you. Oh, by the way, I swung by Muddy York. Were you there? Did you come by on Saturday? I was there. It was fantastic. It's sad to think that I'm probably not going to be in that space ever again. But it was great to be there one more time. Saw Jeff and Sue. Got to have a drink with them. It was lovely. What a great spot. And uh, amazingly, I was talking to them. And we were talking about, like operations and the, the move and they physically have to move their brew house and fermenters which means that they can't obviously be using them while that's happening they do have a contract brewing arrangement with another brewery so they'll have a continuous supply of beer but uh that's a really major undertaking and i made some comment about that and uh jeff was like yeah, yeah. i was like you know what you know what your timeline's like and he said something along the lines of like uh oh yeah like something by like he said something like, like, we'll, we'll, we'll be at least soft opened. And he said May, but in my brain, I heard March and I was like, oh, and was like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So like next year then. And he was like, no, 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 like this year, May, this year. And I was like, oh wait, May, May. like not next month, like three months. That's amazing. And he was like, yeah, it's like, we might not actually be operational from a brewing perspective, but we should be in the space and settled enough to be able to open it up and, uh, and, and work out of there. And I said, that's fantastic. So a trip to Stouffville come May is probably in my future. And it should be in yours too. The uh, space in East York is open until the 17th. So you got 12 days. Uh, if you want to go by and, uh, 
see them off, pick up some cans of beer. Man, they've got a Dunkelweizen called Prost. I had a couple of cans of beer from them, but I like that I brought home, but I brought home two of those and it's like amazing. If you love your German styles, holy moly, it's good. So, uh, yeah, swing by them. It was great to see them again, a little sad, but, uh, that's life. Things change. People move. They're not moving so far. We don't get to follow them. So that's nice to hear. And we're drinking Guinness tonight because it is the Guinness six nations of rugby. My YouTube camera is still backwards and it's still really messing with my head. That is the show for tonight. Check out my buddy Rob Curry and the Curry Brothers. Buy this record. Link is in the description. It's called Link Ray Gun. So I get to say Link over and over and over again. It's like I'm playing a game of Zelda. Rob, tell us all about it.